Hi, I'm Sam Baker, co-founder and president at Wonder Mobility. I'm the host of the Wonder Mobility podcast today. Welcome to the Wonder Mobility podcast. I'm happy to say that I have Tati with me today, who is the co-founder of Quinta Costa Rica and the CIO at Purdy Motor. Among other roles, technology and transport specialist at the World Bank and senior presidential advisor for urban mobility and technology. Thank you so much for joining the show, Tati. Thank you so much for having me, Sam. It's great to be here. It's amazing that we started off with our podcast guests mostly in Europe now in the last uh, in the last sessions, and now we're making our way to the Americas. And I couldn't be more excited about getting to know more about you and your journey in mobility and what you're working on. But maybe before we dive into the nitty-gritty topics of transportation, you can give us a little overview about your background. It's not every day that uh, I think maybe as a young child, we say, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a transport and technology specialist. That's a very specific role. But maybe give, give us a little context. You know, How did you arrive in this role and, and why are you passionate about transportation right now? Of course, uh, I must say I was one of those weird children that, you know, at 16 did tell their parents, I want to be in transportation. I don't really understand why. Uh, My, you know, I'm from Costa Rica. That's where I grew up. My understanding, or or at least how I see it is, you know, you grow up in cities that are completely auto-dependent. You know, you can't do anything on your own. And I remember, you know, I, I visited my grandmother who at that moment was living in Paris you know, just taking the metro for the first time. And you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can go wherever. It was such a, like an eye-opening experience. And I have an email that I saw a, a while back, which were at like 15, 16, I'm telling my parents, when I grow up, I want to study public transportation systems. So, so I've been in transport way before it was cool. That's, that's really interesting example, bringing up the trip to Paris. I think those large cities like Paris and New York and you know, Singapore, they get a lot of airtime in the media about best practices for transportation and how people get around cities. But also, I think it's really interesting that you're coming from a context of Costa Rica that maybe has a different type of transportation experience. Maybe you can share with us a little bit more for the listeners, kind of what is the transportation reality in Costa Rica as it was maybe when you're 16 and then as it is today compared to Paris, just so we can get an understanding of where you're coming from. Of course. Yeah. So, so you know, you have a, a country that is beautiful for a vacation, you know, great. That's the Costa Rica that everybody knows, you know, with the beautiful beaches, the beautiful mountains. But, you know, the, the Costa Rica that most people really live on a day to day when they're in the city is, you know, high levels of congestion, high levels of everything that comes with that, you know, pollution, safety concerns. And I think that the thing that was mostly affected is, you know, the urban fabric really changes around that, right? So it's, you can't walk anywhere, everywhere you go to, you know, you really need a car. And kind of the the other side of that coin is, unfortunately, a public transportation system that is really, really lagging behind, you know. I had the, the great experience of actually working in government with the president of Costa Rica and you know, really trying to tackle these issues. And it's a really complex problem. But unfortunately, you know, we haven't been able to tackle head on the problem of, of public transportation. So, you know, the the reality of, of Costa Rica for most people is, you know, driving an hour and a half every single day to get to your work or, you know, 
buses that are at times inefficient. You don't know when they're coming. You don't know when they'll arrive. You have, still have to pay by cash. So unfortunately, it's uh, although it is a paradise in many ways, we still really lag behind in terms of how we move around, which is really what got me into transportation in the first place. You know, ever since I went to college, I knew I wanted to study cities, uh, sufficiency in cities, and you know, it's what I've been doing for the last number of I don't know how many years. <laughs> Coming from a country that has been so dependent on personal vehicles, and then being inspired by other cities that are maybe more walkable or have more accessible public transit systems. It's very interesting that in your career, you ended up at a group, Purdy Motor, that is at its core, a car dealership group in its history. And now working, of course, on mobility topics. Can you kind of help us understand how did you arrive then in the context of wanting to make a difference in Costa Rica and the transportation environment at a car dealership group, for lack of a better word, and how does that actually, how does that actually translate into uh, potentially making a bigger impact on some of the limitations that, that you saw? Of course, yeah. So you know, after studying the grad school in the U.S., I, I worked at the World Bank for almost six years and really kind of spearheading the technology practice inside of transportation. Right. So it's it was all about. And this was really when we were starting to see, you know, the use of data analytics, you know, the use of cell phones to understand mobility, right? It was kind of that turning point where we were seeing that, you know, technology was A, here to stay, but B, like fundamentally transforming how we move. Everything from, you know, the services we have to how we pay for transportation. And, you know, I, I got to work at the World Bank at that point with transportation systems all over the world, looking at this transformation. And, you know, as, as a Costa Rican, I always had this little, like, you know, idea that I should go back, I should help out. You know, growing up, these were the streets that inspired me to really uh, study transportation. So almost three years ago, essentially, we had a change of government. And really, that was what first led me to Costa Rica, right? Getting into public service, making sure, you know, we always talk about the importance of, you know, public and private alliances, the role that the public sector has to play, public transportation in cities. And I kind of saw that coming from my background as, as a key place that I needed to go and work in. I spent there about a year looking at, amongst other things, electronic payment systems for transportation, the redesign of the bus network, and a potential train system. And kind of coming out of that, and you know, at, at that point, figuring out what I was going to do to my career, uh, with my career, I, I had this call from the CEO at Polimotor. And at that point, I was like, interesting. You know, I've always been in public transportation, never in my, you know, I had never owned a car in my life. Uh, <laughs> I was just wondering what that was. And you've re you really told me a, a very inspiring story about how the company was changing, right? As you said, you know, Portimoto has been the leader in transportation in Costa Rica since 1957, right? They're the dealer and distributors for Toyota, for Ford, for Volkswagen. You know, it is as automotive as automotive gets. But I think that what was really interesting to see at that moment, right, was they were looking at how the patterns were changing and how the pattern of ownership was changing and how the consumers were kind of starting to respond to this change. And I think it was very a bold move by the company. They said, you know, we have to change with the times and we have to start thinking about how we change from a, a traditional ownership model to maybe like start playing around with, you know, mobility services. So kind of that is what got me into, into an automotive company. It was the idea that 
And I really do truly believe that, that if we really do want to make, you know, cities that are sustainable and everything, everybody has to play a part in this, right? We can't, we can no longer say, sure, you have the public transportation on one side doing their own thing and the private sector, the automotive group, the, you know, even now the ride hailing companies, the technologies companies doing things completely separately. Everybody has to, to play a part. So I took on the challenge of, of at that point becoming the chief innovation officer at Pulimotan and kind of thinking about how this vision would come into life of transforming something something that had been purely automotive into what would it look like if you go into mobility. Based on your initial experiences of translating that vision into some concrete first steps, where do you see in the next five or 10 years, realistically, a car dealership business such as Purdy Motor, what does it look like? And is it a, is it a car distributor that has some side services that are more you know, pay by the minute, pay by the day? Or is it really a fundamentally different organization, totally different business model? Help kind of paint a picture for us of kind of what it looks like a decade from now. I mean, it's interesting. It's always interesting, especially when you start to talk about timelines. And I think that timelines in emerging markets are going to be particularly different. You know, I think that if you look 50 years from now, I think they'll be fundamentally different. The, the ownership model, I think, will be, you know, some people will have beautiful cars in their homes, like museum pieces. But even in 15 years from now, the idea of us driving a car at at night, you know, on manual would be completely different. So I do think that if you look down the road, the ownership model will completely change. I think that what is really hard for automotive companies is how you do that transition. So I don't think that if you think of five years from now, you will think of a completely different company, right? You'll still have, you know, your traditional auto ownership models, your traditional vehicle purchases and everything. But I think that what is really interesting for a company that has mostly been built on the traditional ownership model is how do you start to transition and how do you start to give your customers different options so that they can do that transition with you rather than, you know, either leaving your old customers behind or, you know, leaving a new generation of of customers behind. So I think that that transition will happen. and, And I think that what's really hard is how you start to provide both services at once. I'm very interested in your comment about the differences in timelines in emerging markets. And it occurs to me that an example where I would have thought the opposite is in smartphones and connectivity. We have seen examples around the world where smartphone penetration actually accelerates faster in certain emerging markets than in developed markets. And the main cause that is pointed to is that you can sort of jump generations of technology infrastructure and maybe customer behaviors by jumping instead of having landlines, maybe you jump directly into having smartphones with LTE connectivity. I'm curious how you see that in the context of transportation, because it seems like you're saying that actually it might take longer in emerging markets. Maybe Costa Rica has an example to adopt mobility services than in some markets like Paris. Is that the case? And if so, like how do we understand that in the context of other technology examples that are taking Maybe going faster in emerging markets, right? Yeah. So, so I think that you have to think about what are the different technologies that are going to enable this full transition, 
So on one hand, you have what you were talking about, which is the penetration of smartphones. And for, for this, you find some places, actually Costa Rica, I think that we have more cell phone lines than people. Uh, <laughs> you will find places that the, the smartphone penetration is really great. The second one that you really have to think about, which really touches upon kind of this full transition model, is the penetration of bank Banking, bank accounts, bankability, right? You know, Costa Rica is actually has a good rate of, of banking services and, you know, the bank population is pretty high. But if you look at other emerging countries, that's not the case, even with both, both of these. And that is going to affect the full, the full transition to, let's say, a mobility services economy because it, you really need that enabling payment. That's not to say that there are amazing innovations happening on the side of fintech, but you know we see it particularly when you're touching upon how do you connect to public transportation systems. That also becomes a, a key limitation. And then I, I think that once you go into the AV technologies, it's also going to take a lot of time to catch on. You know, just because of the actual infrastructure that we have, even the mapping of the roads is going to be pretty hard. I think that's something that was actually pretty surprising for even myself to see, because I always like to think of, you know, we're, you know, we're a new generation. We don't like ownership. We don't, you know, um, we're seeing, you know, a new light of people come in who are not going to be car owners. And I think that's something that was very interesting for us to see when we started doing market studies was that at least in, in Costa Rica, that generation from, let's say, 20 to 29, they all like really wanted a car. Like that was their goal. That was their desire. You know, that symbol status of owning a car was still there. A lot of the times what was preventing car ownership was actually the down payment. But but if you ask people, it's like, you know, I really want the car. What was really interesting to see was the generation that had, let's say, already owned their first car was the one that really were like looking to move to something else, right? They had gone through the, you know, the process of owning a car. And once you own a car, you realize that you need to pay parking, you need to pay insurance, you need, you know, you need to pay your, your regular fees, you need to pay uh, your road tax. So it was actually this like later generation coming in that was actually more spearheading a, a movement to mobility that was interesting to see. But I think that for, for all these reasons, at least in emerging uh, in emerging markets, you know, there will still be the, the era of car ownership will still be around for, for a while to come. Speaking of different markets and customer incentives and behaviors around the world, one common thread that we've seen popping up is this brand that's called Quinto. And it's arising in different contexts in the United States we've seen, in Latin America, also um, in Asia, different Quinto-related projects. But it seems to be that there's always a different set of partners working under the same brand. And I know that you are heavily involved in what's going on with Quinto in Costa Rica. So maybe help us understand what's going on with Quinto right now. What is Quinto specifically? And then how does that relate to other markets where Quinto is being deployed, if at all? Of course. So if, if you look at Quinto Costa Rica, which is the, the, the project we have, it's essentially it's a multimodal subscription-based mobility as a service platform. And we can go more into kind of what that version of Quinto is. If you look at the global Quinto version is, Quinto is the global brand that Toyota has put forward as kind of their mobility services. But there is no, there are different projects that are happening around the world that, you know, highlight the different potential of where mobility services could go. So, you know, in the States, you have Quinto Share, which is more, more of 
talking about a project that is not my own. You know, it's more of a car share for ride share. You have Quinto in Europe, which is also offering different types of services. You have, you know, some versions of Quinto in, in Southeast Asia. We are a strategic partner with Toyota Global. And, you know, actually it's one of the cases, you know, we do global learnings with global knowledge sharing with them and, and the such. But in that sense, we operate completely independently. However, still sharing a global brand of Quinto. So one aspect could be knowledge sharing, the other is branding. What are the other aspects that a Quinto would bring to the table for local partners that can help you with developing or accelerating your mobility services? What's, what does the offering look like? So, so it changes by location, right? And I think this is part of, you know, the nice thing, if, if you look at Costa Rica and how we work with our global partners is we really do kind of work really independently, but we always want to be tied to the global trends, to the global best practices, you know. And one of the great things about, in that sense, being a secondary market, because, you know, let's not kid ourselves in a country of 5 million people, we're never going to compete with other places. We do get an independence to really act and run our service really independently. But we always want to be reflecting what's happening in, you know, in the global markets, making sure we're having that feedback loop of best practices at a global scale, and also be that for other players around the world. One reflection of what's happening on a global scale is there's a lot of discussion around multimodality as it relates to putting a value proposition in front of a customer in one app. You know, I want to be able to do car sharing, ride sharing, everything all in one. And there has been some talk at Quinto about that multimodality. And I'm curious to understand in your own experience with what you're working on now in Costa Rica, what role does multimodality play, not in like a theoretical sense, but in a really practical sense? You know, what what is practical today and can actually make a difference? Because I think this is one of the concerns is that it sounds in theory really cool that we could have everything in one service, but how does that actually translate into something that generates real value for customers in reality? Yeah, uh, I mean, multimodal is completely essential to our, you know, to our value proposition. You know, it's it really is at the core. And what we started in when we started this, you know, let's think of what's happening in mobility. What we saw is, you know, everybody's kind of trying to own their little space in mobility, right? You have micro mobility saying, "I will own the trip that is, you know, zero to two kilometers, zero to five, three kilometers." And you have kind of everybody's dividing the turf and you can divide it by, you know, either your size of the trip or you can divide it by length of ownership or length of ride or, you know, type of, you know, a hybrid ownership model. And kind of, you know, what we're seeing is people don't really think of mobility that way. They don't think of of, of mobility in these kind of fragmented views. We really see it as, you know, I want to get from point A to point B. And what I want at that moment is the service that best fits my needs. Sure, sometimes because I'm going short distance, it can be a scooter, but other times, even that short distance, if I have to carry, you know, my kids in the grocery bags, I will want something that is different. And kind of that is really what we're trying to tackle with the multimodality, because what we're seeing is, you know, the ownership, the commitment model, you know, you had high commitment eh, assets, which is kind of what 
transportation traditionally was, right? You buy your car, you have your car for the next four years. Transportation is really moving from a high commitment asset to a really low commitment asset. You're not thinking what I want for the next four years. You're thinking, what do I want for the next two minutes? And kind of that is really what the potential that multimodality has in addition to, you know, really making travel much more efficient. But as you said, now, how, how does the rubber hit the road, right? Conceptually, we know it, we think about it. Sure, it's still super cool. How does the rubber, rubber hit the road? And what's really cool, I think, about the opportunity that we had in Purdi was we actually had the opportunity to actually test it out within our, let's say, within our services ecosystem. So even at the launch of Purdi, of, of Quinto Costa Rica, sorry, we had car sharing, car rental, car subscription, micromobility, and we're launching shuttle services. So it really is from the get-go one application that kind of gives you access to a lot of services. And, you know, through a subscription service, you pay X amount for every single, every single month. And it's kind of like your Netflix subscription. You get what you want when you need it. And this is not to say that this is where multimodality is stopping for us. You know, this is just the first of a lot of stages that really will uh, include a lot more services. How does the role of personal ownership, and you mentioned this idea of wanting to sort of show your own brand or, you know, uh, to you, to to your friends by, by sort of owning a car, how does that play with this idea of multimodality? Because I think sometimes the implication of multimodality is you have one app to rule them all. And like, why, why would you need to own a car if you could just open your smartphone and then just get a ride at any context, any time of the day. So how do you sort of justify this with the, sounds like the need in for many in Costa Rica to have ownership of their own car? Is there still room for a multimodality app in that? And, and, and how do you think about that? I think that what we've seen through our, through our operations is that there very clearly is. I think that what we shifted was much more on our target group you know, at least for, for our initial deployment, looking at our target group, not as the millennials who, who at that point were looking, but actually to people that had real mobility needs, right? It, it's not about, uh, it, it is about that person, you know, that family that has already one car and is doubting whether they should buy that second car because one of the partners can sure has to take their kids to school, but the second one, you know, it doesn't really need that car all the time. It's about that single mother who really doesn't want to have that recurring payment. And sure, sometimes she needs to go and you take her kids to school and, and needs a big car or to go to the beach. But in reality, most of the day she can she can do off with you know a much smaller car, something that's even more eco-friendly. So it really isn't about, and this is a little bit what I was talking about earlier about. In, in the sense of it's a transition. And you, I think that what we're starting to see is that transition happen. But, you know, we're not, we're not saying that, you know, the majority, uh, 90% of Costa Ricans are, are ready to make that transition. But we want to accompany the people that are ready to, to what start. Is that converse- what, what is that conversation like internally at Purdy? Because I imagine it's not easy to say, well, this family might have bought a car or should buy a car and we would be happy to sell them a car, I'm assuming. But you're kind of eating into your own legacy business. Do you have conflict around that? Or is there tension within the business the business itself? So we keep in that sense our ownership model completely um, 
we operate out of essentially different offices. What we try to do is offer the mobility services to people that are buying cars. So if something that we've done is, you know, integrated to the people that if you come for a repair, right? So you won't have a car for a couple of days. Here, here's an option that could like essentially hold you off for, for that period of time. So it really is not about, let's say, eating into that business model. It's catching that customer that is going to leave because he's ready to make that transition. We just catch, catch them on the other side. So it's ownership plus value-added services that can complement the experience of owning a car. And when that flips, uh, and if the person is ready to flip, it'll flip the other way. Which is what we see, you know, in 15 years when, when most of the people have flipped, that's awesome, right? And I think that that's something very fundamental to the company, right? Is once you started seeing, you know, people that think of Purdy, they always think about it as an automotive company. But interestingly enough, the company just thinks about it as a mobility company, right? This is not that this has not changed. The thing was, you know, 60 years ago, the best form of mobility was a car, right? And the car served us well. You know, I, I don't think we, we should vilify car ownership, right? It was an amazing technology that provided a lot of development and a lot of value add to communities living around the world. So, you know, for the last 60 years, by far, the best way to provide mobility was a car. The best way to provide mobility might be changing, and a company wants to change with that. So it really was, you know, it's it's about, you know, as I said, we've always been the first choice for mobility in Costa Rica, and it's about continuing to be the, the best choice for mobility. It's interesting to think about when that turning point could be where services become more of a higher percentage of overall revenues than selling cars. Have you done any work on forecasting out what that turning point could look like for a group such as Purdy Motor in terms of the time horizon? When does it become the majority of the revenue related to services? Um, we haven't done that forecasting model, I must say. If you look at really the deployment of, of Quinto and our entire mobility strategy, is incredibly quick. So we just knew that the transition was going to start happening. We're like, we need, we need to be part of this game, you know, what is known for always being in the forefront of mobility. And we wanted to be in the forefront of the next generation of mobility. We worked with a number of, of companies validating our big bet in that sense. But, you know, it's, it was, a, it was a, a transition that was time in the making. For your peers in the industry, in a global context, what recommendations would you give, maybe two or three examples of how to get started on something that is as complex as a gradual transition of a business of an entire business model. I mean, what are some concrete things that a car dealership or a car distributorship group could do tomorrow to get started on something that daunting? I mean, I think that's something that's really interesting and, and that has really changed in the last couple of years is the availability of technology solutions that that allow you to pilot these kinds of business models, right? So if you looked at right, you know let's say 10 years before, you know, the idea of looking and in, going into something like this completely daunting, right? Having to create your own technology solution, your own software, your own technology platform, your own payment platform to really provide these kinds of solutions is incredibly tough. Something that has changed in the last, I think the last couple of years is we can do this in a much more easier way now, right? So it's, it's about partnering 
And, you know, I think it's also about being very, very honest about where the industry is going and, you know, making, making bets and being bold in your approach and saying, you know, if the industry is going to change, how am I going to change with it? Speaking of practical first steps and doing that in the time that we're living in, of course, we can't have a conversation without talking about the impact of COVID-19 on businesses and individuals around the world. This is a very interesting time that you, based on your comment, didn't choose to launch during uh, the time of COVID-19, but in fact, it ended up that way. What were some of your learnings in the process or surprising uh, things that came up over operating this project during the times of a global pandemic? That was, uh, yeah, Wondell will have to write a book about that. Uh, We were set to launch on a Thursday in Costa Rica. We found the first COVID case the Sunday before. Monday, the country started to issue, you know, warnings. By Tuesday, they had completely banned any kind of, (laughs) any kind of event. And by, you know, Wednesday, there was essentially a virtual lockdown. So, you know, we... Not only did we, you know, operate in times of of COVID, it really was launching and completely changing your strategy in in COVID times. And you know, we had our entire marketing campaign that was, you know, about around the freedom of mobility and moving like magic, and you know how easy it was to move. And you can imagine that is not the best day communications campaign to have when the country is in virtual lockdown. Uh, you know, you don't want to be that kid screaming, you know, look, we can move. And everybody's like, yeah, but we should stay. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was a it was a an exercise in agility. And and you know, responding, as I said, it's responding to what's happening around you. So what we did was, you know, in a very quick time, uh, completely changed our, you know, first of all, it was about changing our communication campaign. We had a much softer launch. And actually what we did was really use that time proactively to learn more about the customer, learn more about the pain points. And I think, you know, it's often over understated, but, you know, going from a traditional automotive services into mobility services is a you know it's a 180 shift right everything from you know that const being constantly in touch with your with your customer and this is what we found is you can lose a customer in every single point of your <laughs> of, of your customer journey right if you download the app and the app takes too long to download if you don't like the graphics of the app if the sign of process was too tedious if you put in your bank account and it really didn't process the payment correctly, you could lose them at any single second. You know, if you downloaded the app and you went to the car and it didn't open, you also lose them. So what we did was, you know, at that point, first of all, we changed our communication campaign and you know, we said, we understand it's not the time to move, but don't worry, we're with you and we're coming. And then the second thing we did was essentially use that time much more strategically and started just debugging operationally our product, right? Talking to people, saying, do you understand this? Do you understand how to open a car? Should we make more guidance documents? Are the different parts working? How can we get better? So it really was about, you know, just making sure everything was was ready where it needed to be, you know. And, And yes, using that time strategically. So it was about moving quickly, responding, but then 
never, you know, and even if it might be cliche as, you know, never, never, what's the saying? Never, never miss a crisis. <laughs> you know, so it really was about using that time proactively to learn more and kind of reflect that back into the product itself. Tati, thank you so much for joining us today and really elevating the stories from Costa Rica and your experiences there and how that can inform other individuals around the world who are working on their own mobility projects. Really interesting insights. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Sam.